Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. What makes you think that the universe or God or whatever higher power is going to want to give you more of whatever you want? It just can't happen. Like You have to give thanks to get thanks. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people. How y'all doing? Today I had the pleasure of interviewing entrepreneur and podcast host Raj Jana. We went into the, the truth prescription, the personal and the professional. Just wanted to give you guys a quick recap and my thoughts before we jump into the full interview so for Raj his professional truth I sort of distilled down to when you follow the American dream it could become an American nightmare (laughs) that was his professional truth and he'll go into the hows and the whys of it but one thing I think is really important is to realize that anytime you follow any pre-prescribed prescription (laughs) I like that pre-prescribed prescription for anything, but specifically your life's focus or your life's journey. It's not going to work because we are all unique, special individuals and we all have unique and special gifts to give. And even with those gifts, we have special and unique ways to put them out into the world. Right. So you have somebody like. Martin Luther King, who was a great orator and could move people. So that was the professional truth. For his personal truth, this one is interesting. You'll hear the interview later going through the details, but he talked about using relationships to discover who you are and not using them to validate who you think you are. And I really love this because it goes back to how we often use people, places, and things to validate who we are. People, places, and things, and I guess in things you could say titles to validate who we are. You know, I'm a doctor. Mm, The puffed up predicament. I feel great about myself. I just bought this Lamborghini. I'm driving through wherever I'm driving through. I feel great about myself. I married this beautiful woman who's intelligent. I feel great about myself. We often do that. And I think what he's talking about in the personal truth is you don't look to those things to validate yourself. You look to the experience that you have with those things, with the Ferrari, with the beautiful wife, with becoming a doctor to learn who you are. So it's through the experience that you continually learn through you are. Like for me personally, getting through medical school, when I came out of that experience, one thing I knew about myself was that I had the spirit of a fighter 
And no matter what happened, I would not be denied. I could not be stopped. That I had something inside of me that just would not let me give in and give up. And there were many, 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 many times in med school where I wanted to just quit because it was it was very difficult. It's a, it's a difficult process and it, and it needs to be. So in addition to feeling good about whatever I may have accomplished academically, I'm also able was also able to and continue to learn something about, you know, myself that I can always look back to. The benefit in my experience in becoming a doctor was way greater than the actual title of doctor, if that makes any sense. I really like that personal truth. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and be well. Good people, welcome to the True Prescription Podcast, episode number 53. I am your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. And today I have the honor and pleasure of interviewing Raj Jana. How you doing, Raj? Amazing, man. It's great to be here. Excellent. Raj is an entrepreneur and podcast host. He's been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine. His story is really interesting because he comes from very humble beginnings. Uh, his father arrived in America with, quote unquote, $60 in his pocket, which is not that much, who <laughs> went on to become a successful in corporate America in his own right. And then Raj continued to follow the, quote unquote, American dream with this, you know, did well in school, went to college, was an athlete, started a fraternity, got a corporate job as an engineer at Chevron, and he worked his way up. And then his mentor, three days before retirement, died of a heart attack suddenly. And that sort of put him on a, a different path and made him sort of rethink things. In 2015, he started Java Press Coffee, which the last data I have, 2017 numbers were 2.2 million gross. What, what, where are you at now? We're probably around the, the four-ish million now. So four million. He's a business coach and his specialty is branding and specifically taking ordinary products like coffee <laughs> and transforming them into extraordinary commodities that people will love. So Raj Jana, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, sir. It's a pleasure. Excellent. So let's jump right into the truth prescription, Raj. You know, my listeners, they tune into my show every other week because we talk to successful, not only entrepreneurs, but artists and just people in, in media and all different realms and walks who have had to interface with certain truths. And once they accepted those truths, whether they were ignoring it or they weren't aware of it, once they accepted those truths, it opened the door for them and it was they were able to move forward and to continued more success. So do you want to discuss a personal truth or professional truth first? I don't know. Whatever you, whatever tickles you, man. <laughs> well, you started with, uh, you started professional. So let's, let's do professional and then we'll dive into personal. All right, sure. No problem. Let's do professional. All right. So tell us a, a story that sort of illustrates for us, you know, that process you went through, discovering the truth and then kind of moving through it. I know you guys heard this earlier, but I used to be a petroleum engineer. That was my previous life. Came out of school for that. Went to college, graduated, got a job making six figures right out of school. So I was pretty cush and I was happy. Or I was making money, so I thought I was happy. At the time, I was also in a long-distance relationship. I was sending money back home. My parents, my parents were going through a tough time financially. I was in a ton of student debt. So Although I graduated college and I went to school and I had 
seemingly this perfect life on paper, I internally wasn't very fulfilled. I wasn't experiencing life in the way that I thought I wanted. You know, when I graduated college, I mean, when I was in high school, I played very competitive tennis. Four years of high school. At the end, I had, you know, a ton of records to show for my work. In college, I had four years. You know, I put in a ton of work to start my fraternity. At the end of college, I had records to show. For the first time in my life, I joined a corporate job and I would have to wait 40 years to look back on my life (laughs) and have something to show. So I think that mismatch in just my own personal journey and what I what I thought I wanted kind of changed. So when I got into corporate, I was honestly right off the bat looking for something else. Like I started listening to podcasts, reading books, and I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by a guy named Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, indeed. Yep, he's a legend. I remember seeing his his book actually in an airport. I was not happy and I was kind of coming back from I think like a Thanksgiving break or something and I saw his book and I escaped the 9 to 5 and this is speaking to me. So picked up the book, read the whole thing, changed my life, made me realize how much I didn't know. And that started a lifelong, now a lifelong journey of learning, growing, and and just pushing myself. But at the time, that pushed me to start buying my first courses on how to sell products online, how to use digital marketing to be an entrepreneur. So that was really my first way of how I even got into entrepreneurship from petroleum engineering. And one of the first courses I bought was a course that taught people how to sell physical products online using Amazon and other proven digital marketing platforms. So I went through the course, I did everything the course told me to do, and I launched our first product under Java Press, which was like a manual coffee grinder in September of 2015. Honestly, I was making money. I was selling a couple here and there. I had a nice little couple hundred dollars coming in every month. Like it was a cool little side hustle that I had going. But then January of 2016, that's when Jerry, my mentor, had a heart attack three months before retirement. And I remember that experience saying that, it was, actually, it wasn't even that experience, and now that I think back on it, Jerry's wife came in the next week to clean out his cubicle. And I mean, I used to be cubicle man. I was like right across Jerry's cubicle. And, and I just remember she had just retired, you know, a couple of weeks before Jerry's passing, and she was looking forward to a lifetime of experiences with him. And I just remember her cleaning out his cubicle and seeing all these things that she was learning about him. It was just really powerful for me. And in that moment, I just made me realize that I, I, it wasn't actually something I wanted. Like entrepreneurship wasn't something I wanted. It was something I needed. There was no way that I was going to spend the rest of my life sitting in a city or a place that was away from my loved ones. There was no way that I was going to sit behind a cubicle doing things that I didn't love doing. There was no way I was going to spend that much time working on things that didn't light me up. And so that's what started the journey for me, man. I mean, I was waking up at 5 a.m. Between 5 and 7 a.m., I was working on personal development and then went to work. I came back and between 5.30 and, you know, 8.30 p.m., I was working on my business and I did that every single day. And then about seven or eight months later, we we made our first million. That was the journey, though. But that was the, the trigger point for me. I found my truth in someone else's death, which is kind of weird for me to say out loud, but... You found life through death. I found life through death. I found gratitude through death. I found urgency. I found passion. I just found this this internal need to make the most of everything I had right in front of me. Like For the first time in my life, I just saw that following the rules, doing exactly as you're told, literally following the book on life, 
wasn't going to guarantee you the things that that book told you you would have. And there were no guarantees. There's absolutely no guarantees. You can, there's a famous Jim Carrey commencement speech where he saw his father. He always wanted to be a comedian, but he ended up choosing the safe route and becoming, I think, like an insurance salesman. Turns out he was fired from his job when the market crashed in insurance. And I remember Jim Carrey said this afterwards. He's like, I learned a lot of lessons from my dad, but not the last one of which is that you can fail at doing something you don't want to do. So you might as well take a chance on doing something you like. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a great one. That's a great one. It was almost like you had this mis, mis, misnomer that if you did everything they told you to do, go to school, get good grades, et cetera, et cetera, then you could find your fulfillment through that. And you realized that that was not 100% in line with what was inside of you. Yeah. I mean, I personally believe that we make people go to school way too soon, decide a career at the age of 18. <laughs> and, you know, like, well, and, you know, I actually had a, a really good mentor explain this to me in a really, really smart way. And so I'm going to try emulating that. So let me ask you a question. Between the ages of zero and four, how many memories do you remember? I'm the worst person to ask this because I would, for me, it's probably like zero to one. I, I don't, I remember very no, little from my no, childhood. You're, you're yeah. exactly in line, man. You're not the worst. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly the answer that I, I said to him. And then between the ages of four and 11, how many memories do you remember? Maybe two or three. Two or three. Between the ages of 11 and about 22, how many do you remember? Yeah, way more, like 10, 15, right? yeah. But like a lot more, right? Yeah, way more. So he he shared, he's like, Raj, your body might be born at the age of zero, but your identity, your consciousness, who you believe you are is actually born at the age of 11. So if you take that clock and you take that logic, if who you think you are, like that's why your teens are so, like they're like, you're hitting puberty, people say teens are tough, like they change. You're literally like a baby when it comes to your identity. Like you're figuring it out. You're, you're trying things. You're trying to find new friends. You're getting peer pressured. You're, you're taking in all this data. And then eventually when you get to college, you allow, that's the first time most people get away from their parents and they actually get to try things on their own. So from the age of 11 until 18, you're figuring out your identity. You're, you still don't have any independent real thought. But for some reason, you're being told to decide on a life career, which most <laughs> people take a lot of debt out of school. Like, like I mean, I took a ton. I had like $50,000 in debt, man. And that's nothing. You got off pretty good. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's good. people that yeah. have hundreds of thousands hundreds, of dollars in debt. And I went to med school. So, I mean, I, I was lucky because I had a tuition scholarship, but I had friends that had $200,000, $300,000 in, in debt when we came out. It's crazy. And medical school is even crazier because you make the decision to go to medical school when you're 18, but you don't actually start practicing medicine until you're in your late 20s. And so you're, you're making these decisions for a lifelong pursuit of career or of, of work when I don't think we're ready. And so when I, was, when I first got into college, I mean, I took the opinions of everyone around me and went into engineering. I realized that in college, because of my extracurriculars, that business was the thing for me. And entrepreneurship was the thing for me. But then when I got to work, it became pretty clear that I couldn't be entrepreneurial in my work. That environment I was in wasn't giving me the entrepreneurial spirit. I think that if I was allowed to be entrepreneurial in my day job, even if I was working for someone else, I think I probably, I probably would have still eventually wanted to do something on my own, but it wouldn't have happened so soon. Makes sense. Okay. All right. Let's jump into the personal. Yes, sir. 
I like how nonchalant you are, man. Like it's like, <laughs> like, like you got like, got like a real settling kind of voice. Like, uh, it's, it's nice. I like it. I like it. Thanks, Raj. I appreciate that. I appreciate. It. Well, maybe maybe I'll be on your show at some point and talk about some of the entrepreneurial things that I've I've done to try to stay grounded. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. I mean, you're a young dude. You know, I was really impressed when they told me you were you were under thirty, and looking at sort of the dossier of all the things you've done. So I know relationships. That's another thing. You know, we talk about you think people go to school too soon. I think people probably get married too soon. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you're married or not, but just in terms of relationship and maturity and developing, I mean, you talk about knowing who you are at that certain age. But, they, you know, a lot of people are getting married in you know, the mid-20s, which is probably not the best time to get married. <laughs> you know, you're just sort of discovering yourself and figuring out what you want to do with your life. So with your parents, I know you mentioned your parents had a bit of a difficult time at a point. Whatever you, you can discuss that you'd like to share with the listeners just on a personal level, what truths have you sort of gleaned and been able to take in? Your significant other or others or the relationships that you've been in and dating, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I met my girlfriend in college. We've been dating for about seven years now. We're not married for the very reason you just mentioned. So like, we went to college and then you know we dated in college and then we ended up doing long distance for a couple of years, which was not easy. but in hindsight, I actually think it was one of the best things that ever happened for us, just because it forced us to actually develop a relationship with ourself. You know, like I had that space, you know, I saw her every month and she saw me every month, but we both had that space to make new friends on our own, to try new things. I mean, I started my business in that space, right? Like I, I, I had the space to, to do things without having someone else in my ear telling me, that, you know, I, I just didn't have to think about someone else in the immediate sense. So for me, that was, it was, it was so powerful. And I mean, man, we've grown so much. Like I can't even recognize, I can't even recognize who I was last year, let alone seven years ago. And so, you know, for me, my, one of the truths that's really come up in my relationship is just that using your relationship as a vehicle to create a relationship with yourself is actually extremely powerful. The way you show up in relationships is an, is an actual mirror for how you're showing up in every other part of your life too. Because if you think about like business and you think about work and you think about love and friendships and legacy and all these things, like really the common denominator and all that stuff is you. And I think most people, they try to attach their identities to something else or, or any one thing, like most people might attach their identities and who they believe they are to a business or to a way of thinking or a religion or, or a significant other. Or a title. Or a title, yeah. You know, one thing my relationship really taught me was to use these things, the relationships I have with these things as a vehicle for really discovering what's important for me. And always having that, that nuance, that separation, that space between the two and that has been probably one of the most influential truths that's arrived on this journey that I've been so far. It's almost like using the experiences both in your relationship and things surrounding the relationship as a tool to further deepen your understanding of, of who Raj is. That's exactly right. The only thing that's going to be as live as long as you are is yourself. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I mean, businesses will start and fail or businesses will start and sell relationships will, in the best case scenarios, will grow old together, but ultimately you have no idea when one, you have no idea who's going to live longer. 
Like the only thing that you are stuck with for life is you. When you start to look at things through that lens, the relationship you have with yourself is probably the most important thing for you to foster, cultivate, and understand along the journey. Like it's not something you can go, that's why midlife, I think that's why midlife crises exist. When you get to that point, you've put so much time and effort into your work, into your family, into something without actually making the time and space to understand who you are, that now you're almost like catching up. You're playing massive amounts of catch up. Instead of just doing it along the way and recognizing that you are the biggest horse you can bet on. <laughs> I like that. Interesting. Raj, you know, where do you feel like, this is kind of a accessory question, but, you know, I really admire you because a lot of the things you're talking about and the wisdom that you're explaining to the listeners is something that people often don't get until they're in their 40s. I mean, you know, some of the, the concepts and, and things that you're talking about, it took me a, a while. I mean, I was in my mid-30s until I started to understand these things like the importance of knowing yourself and really letting experiences sort of dictate or using experiences to sort of help you to, to find your way. And, you know, all, all the things, you have something on your website that I like that you talked about, the concept of how you do one thing is how you do all things. I mean, you know, all these things are just really, really great nuggets of knowledge. And you seem to have some kind of grasp of them at such a young age. How, how is that? Do you, do you know? I mean, I can guess. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> I've never been asked that question. So, but one, I invest a lot in myself. I have a lot of mentors, but I have mentors for things that I am personally curious around. So one uh, quality I think that I've developed along the way that I think has been instrumental for me just understanding and, and being able to gather life lessons is being interested in whatever I'm learning in. If I'm interested in something, I'm naturally going to be more passionate about it. I'm naturally going to be more connected to it. I'm naturally going to understand it to deeper levels than I would something that I don't really have as much of a passion about. One of those things, coincidentally, is just exploring myself, like building self-awareness. I have a massive amount of curiosity around me, why I operate the way I do, and I journal a lot. And this comes through constant reflection, meditation, journaling. So you're, you're, you're 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. in that with some meditation and some journaling that you talked about earlier. Meditation, journaling, reflection, visualizing. I mean, I'm really trying to understand me. Like I'm trying to catch those little feelings and I'm trying to understand, like I'm trying to get in tune with my gut instinct, right? And my intuition. Because I think the closer I get to that, the more I start to gather lessons from all the things I am doing in the world with a much clearer lens. I'm more in tune to, you know, let's say I fail and I think about, all right, so why did I fail? What did I, what mistakes did I make? What can I do better? And then I go and talk to a mentor and I, and I share the things that I think I did wrong with them. And then they're like, you know what, Raj, I think you're right, but this is what I see in you. And so, you know, it's like this constant, this constant habit, I think for me of, looking at my life, seeing the things I've done, seeing the things I'm doing, constantly learning from my own actions, and then taking that data and then going to people that are a lot smarter than me and using them and asking them and getting their help in processing this data so that I can personally understand and, and, and leverage the lessons that are coming from here to move my life forward. And 
I think the more I do that, the sharper I get at tagging these lessons, the sharper I get at noticing patterns from one area of life and how that might relate to another, the more I start to leverage knowledge and wisdom that might be coming from people that are much older than me, maybe from my subconscious mind or, you know, from self-awareness. I mean, if you really think about it, man, like our brains process what's in front of us. But I mean, our bodies are some of the most incredible vehicles for processing information. Like we are the best supercomputers, some of the best supercomputers on the planet. And like, we're not just processing stuff in our conscious brain. Like our ears are listening, our, we're smelling, we can see, we can speak, we can feel. I mean, all of these senses and these, and these organs and these processes are collecting data and information from just millions of sources at any one given moment. So when you really think about it, like you already have a lot of information inside you. We just don't take enough time to process that information and take the lessons from that information to use them in a conscious way to go forward and do the things we've always wanted to do. So I think just having a very, very, very healthy relationship with my failures, having a healthy relationship with exploring self-awareness, with asking myself hard questions, getting vulnerable, and really sort of getting into the root cause of why I'm emotionally driven to do the things I do. I think a curiosity around that avenue of learning has allowed me to really process information and, and gather lessons that I think that would take me a lot longer to gather. Yeah, you know, when you were talking, I almost visualized like an artist, you're your own artist, you're working on your own sculpture, you know, and you're constantly sort of chiseling and scraping and putting more clay here. It's an ongoing process. Okay, cool. Let's jump into some questions. So my first question, you know, it was very clear to me based on the different interviews I, I listened to and things that I read that you have a very, you've learned, I'll, I'll, I'll make that clear, you've learned a lot about branding and what it takes to, to brand a product. Just talk to us about what are Raj Jana's keys to branding? Man, you got to be yourself because, I mean, authenticity is branding. I think authenticity and branding can go hand in hand in speaking. And you know, for me, every single company I've started, every single brand I've done, every single piece of content I've created has been in line with a vision that I personally came up with for my life and the impact I want to make. And I think a brand ultimately is just how somebody feels about you. If somebody feels good about you, you've got a great brand. If somebody feels really bad about you, you've got a bad brand. So <laughs> ultimately speaking, if a brand is the way somebody feels about you, then a real truly impactful brand is when you are showing up authentically as yourself in a way that impacts people. And I think that channeling that authenticity, and that goes back to, again, discovering who you are. Like, if you're not taking the time to really discover who you are, what's important to you, what core values really drive home, like who you want to impact, what's the mark you want to make on this world, like, if you don't ask yourself these hard questions, your brand is not going to speak in a way that connects to people, you know, because ultimately in every brand and in marketing in general, I think people don't want to hear your story. They want to hear their story in your story. Like they want to see themselves in you. And I think the only way to have that type of a connection is to be authentically yourself because, you know, vulnerability connects with people. There's a reason why it does. When, when you see a, a true leader 
come forward in an organization and just honestly just say, hey, look, guys, we made a mistake. I made a mistake. I'm scared. I don't know what I did wrong, but like I'm figuring this out. I just want to let you guys know that this is where I'm at. Ultimately speaking, like that is one of the most powerful connecting forces that can happen in an organization. Like when a leader is transparent and authentic and vulnerable with the way that they are solving problems or the things that are coming up for them. Like, and if you look at some of the best leaders in social media or anywhere, like it's really that raw, vulnerable honesty and authenticity. Ultimately speaking, branding is not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You can't fake your brand. Like, you have to be authentic because otherwise, like, consumers are smart. We have so many amazing brands out there now, and there's so much information out there, and we've never lived in a time where consumers have more access to brands, people, and personalities than in history. We've never had it. And so if one person is being extremely authentic, and another person isn't, consumers are starting to figure that out. And they're going to be able to tell. So I think eventually when it comes to branding, if you're not being authentically yourself and vulnerably and honestly sharing lessons from your journey, if you're not building brands that connect with people on a more, on a higher level than just the pure basic needs that a product, like a brand isn't just product. The brand is, you know, the feelings that product evokes, right? Like, cause again, we're going back to that impact and, you know, I think life's too short not to impact, to be honest. And I think that life's too short not to be yourself. And when you combine both of those principles, I think you have an incredible foundation for creating a rock solid brand. You know, one of the examples that really proves what you just said, you talked about this in one of your interviews that how you started, you, you know, you guys were making sales. I think you were doing like eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a month or something. But when you started to infuse sort of your personal experiences, how it just, you know, sales began to explode just based on that, you know, just based on you really opening up and letting people know, you know, who you are, what your vision is, how they could see their story and your story, which I think is important. Man, storytelling, we're driven by stories. And we believe stories every single day. There's an amazing book on this. It's called Sapiens by, I keep forgetting the guy's name. He's got a long name, but it's called Sapiens. Check it out. He talks a lot about how the only reason Homo sapiens were able to outlive some of the other human counterparts like Neanderthals and different like species was because of our ability to congregate around an idea. Like the Neanderthals, if there were 10 people in a room, they could only actually think that there were 10, like they couldn't gather more people than the 10 people in the room. But Homo sapiens were able to tell a story around, you know, a vision, a purpose, a cause that was able to bring together 200 people from 50 different tribes to come together to fight for something they believed in. And so when you think about 40, 50,000 years ago, if that's how we survived it, that was our evolutionary advantage was being able to tell good stories and believe stories. And if you think about everything we have today in our lives, like a brand is a story. Like what, what is Audi? Audi is not like an Audi, yeah, it's a car, but a car is also just a metal scraps with rubber tires. Like it's actually just a thing, like it has no meaning. Audi is a story. And so when you start to think about the stories we tell ourselves about what's real and what's not real, what we're capable of, what we're not capable of, the stories we buy, the stories we sell, the stories we go into relationships for, I mean, our lives are based on stories. 
And I think that that's the fundamental fabric of humanity. Like good stories connect people. Good stories bring issues to the light. Good stories transcend all boundaries of race, color, religion, age, good stories. That's why Hollywood, I think, is is such an important part of our culture. I mean, Hollywood has shaped culture around the world. And that's because of these stories and the way these stories are told. It drives culture. It, it, it creates change. So I think stories are everything. And I think making that a priority with branding or even just self-development, everything, exploring stories is, is, is one of the most important things one can do, I think, in life. For sure. Yeah. I just talked about this, you know, just in terms of how we create stories in our minds that are often false. <laughs> and and then we create a whole narrative around this false story and then start doing things based on this false story. So great point. You know, I read in your Forbes interview and you talked a lot about values and, you know, how as a company, values are really important. What what values do you communicate as the sort of leader of Java Press and what type of environment does that create for you? Gratitude. Gratitude is the attitude, man. That is the blood type, the attitude, the the story, everything. When you are grateful, you cannot be any other emotion. When you are grateful, you feel connected to people. When you are gratitude is almost like this amazing cheat code you can use to get yourself out of any funky state at any given moment. Like if you just decide one day to just feel gratitude, all the fear goes away, all the anger goes away. It's just, it's, it's a great neutralizer and a reset button. So in our team, I mean, every team call, we start with, you know, what's one thing everybody's grateful for, or we give thanks, or we talk about things that we are grateful for in our lives. We have in Slack, we have gratitude channels where we highlight thank yous from customers and we talk about what we're grateful for. And I think that's been one of the most important values that I think I've personally been able to instill not only in, in myself and in my company, but in just anyone I interact with, because I think if you're grateful, everything just gets easier. If you're practicing gratitude, I don't think there's anything you can't do. Like you find meaning in the worst of times, you are extremely appreciative in the best of times. It's just a great emotional state to have as a default. So that's one of the biggest values that I've personally tried exhibiting as a leader, but also just sharing as much as I can, because I do think that it is a universal love language. Like it, it doesn't matter what you know, where you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter. I think gratitude is something that can connect everybody. Is it something that, well, you, you just explain how in your meetings and stuff, you guys talk about this stuff, but is it something that you have like up, like in signage? Do you, or is it more a subtle thing where it's implied in all, in all the actions and communications? We have a virtual team. So like we don't have like a physical office where people can come in and look at the sign. But if we did, it'd be a big old sign. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we did, it would be like the paint. It'd be everywhere, man. <laughs> no, but I'm just kidding. But like, but like, no, I mean, it sounds like it's it's yeah, it's just something that's it's implied based on, you know, how you communicate, what you're saying, what you set up, the framework. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't say it's just implied. Like I do actively call it out. OK, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like I'm just like. You know, like I, I just communicate with gratitude. I think that's something that I've fostered over time. But I think that with the culture, it's just consistently saying, what are you grateful for? Like, here's a gratitude channel in Slack. Like we post in there, you know, like and the content I create. And, and so I think that there's a reinforcement of values that comes from an implied nature of speaking with gratitude. But I think that just 
by nature, like we do ask and we do prompt questions and I do push the team and people around us. And even in our emails to our customers, like I can't tell you how many of our customer emails include like, what are you grateful for? Like there was a point in time where every single person before we gave them access to like content and exclusive, like customer only materials, we would make them answer the question, what are you grateful for? Like that was like the first question we would force people to ask in order to get access to things. Because it sets their intention. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it sets the intention. It sets the culture and it sets the, the, the overwhelming amount of, of positivity that just starts a great relationship. It's, it's a palate cleanser. And so there are some specific tactical things that we do that evoke a sense of gratitude. But beyond that, I do think it's just the reinforcement of those values through consistent communication. I'm going to give a quick shout out. Did you, you said you use a virtual team and I know you have some relationship with this company, Belay. Is that who you're using or who you've used? So I've hired through Belay. I, I love, I love Shannon and Brian Miles. They're, they're amazing people. They have a great company. I also, depends on what I'm looking for, you know, virtually, like, I mean, the tools that are virtual are, are there already. The marketplaces that you find talent in, like, I mean, I find talent everywhere, man. Like I found talent through Belay. I found talent through Upwork. I found talent through Craigslist, like people I might meet at conferences. Virtual teams are just like people who use, to me, it's just where I find the people doesn't matter as much as the tools we're using to communicate and create that culture. So video calls as opposed to in-person meetings, Slack as opposed to like inner office communication, like, you know, like we use project management softwares, like Google Drive is our storage solution. <laughs> okay, got it. You, know? you see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. so like it's, it's just taking everything physical and putting it online. The people themselves, they might come from everywhere, but we're all managed in one place. Got it. Okay. All right, cool. One thing I wanted you to talk about, because I think it's really important, especially for entrepreneurs and or just mompreneurs or, or just folks that are, are starting a business, this concept of bending time. How can one help entrepreneurs extract more juice out of the 24 hours we're all given. Yeah, I've got a whole, I know <laughs> I've got a whole thing on this. Yeah. If people want like a full on detail, you can go to my website and check it out, but I'll give you the, the cliff notes. Cliff notes. Absolutely. So to me, all right, one, when I say bending time, I mean, feeling like you have more time, feeling more connected to the work you're doing to where time doesn't actually matter. So the concept, the, the premise of the concept of bending time is that I can get something done in one hour and someone else might take nine hours to do it. Does that mean that there's one hour or nine hours in a day to do that task? That's a personal question, right? To me, I see 23 more hours to do something else. Someone else might see 14 hours. The concept of bending time to me is, is being intentional with your time and being productive in your time and being focused in your time so that you can feel like you have the time to do everything you want to do. So the step-by-steps first thing is decide what's important to you in every part of life, not just work. I think most people get overwhelmed when they focus on any one part of life and they think, oh my God, I don't have time for anything else. Well, I don't know if people actually sit down and think about what they actually want in every part of life. Maybe it's not at this point in time. Like for me, like at one point in time, I was really, really, really focused on getting shredded in the gym. But at that time, was I focused on being an entrepreneur? No, no. <laughs> like, I wasn't focused on being like 
growing businesses and impacting people. I wasn't focused on that. I was just focused on shredding in the gym. And so a lot of my time was spent meal prepping. A lot of my time was spent doing those things. Now I have a business and I have things that light me up. And so I want to spend more time doing those things. But I know that being healthy is still important to me. So I might just scale back priorities on what being healthy means to me. The definition of what being healthy means to me has changed over time. The definition of what being successful to me has changed over time. But the thing is, if you don't ask yourself those questions, you don't, you can't use your time well because you're just going to be taking whatever someone else gives you. You're going to be taking the work someone else gives you. You're going to be taking the email someone else gives you. You're going to be taking all the opportunities that the world throws at you because information is abundant right now. And you're going to feel overwhelmed because you don't have time to do the things that really matter to you. So the first step is deciding what actually matters to you. The second step is doing a giant audit. Look at your time. Now, based on what matters to you, are you actually spending your time doing the things that matter? And the best place to check is your calendar. I mean, your calendar does not lie. I mean, I live and breathe by my calendar. And I can at any given moment look at my calendar and see if I'm being accountable to the things that matter to me. Right. Like if it's if it's important to me to spend a lot of time with my girlfriend, then that better be in the damn calendar. So I think when you look at your audit and you and you, and you look at your calendar and, and you start to see what's happening, then you can say, all right. You can say, all right, it's taking me four hours to do this. Does it need to take four hours? And that starts to challenge the conversation of time management in general, because I don't think time management is actually the skill set people need to master. It's focus management. When you are working on things that are important, like if you know why you're working on things and you're working on things that are important to you, you are going to naturally build the skill of focus because you are intentionally spending your time in places that need attention. And so when you do the legwork, right, and when you put all the groundwork out there for why you want to do things, you do an audit, and then you decide where you're going to be spending your focus and being selective and protective around your focus, then all you got to do is execute. And all you got to do is just be and live. Set aside time to look at your phone if that's important to you. If it's important to you to cultivate social relationships, put an hour on your calendar to go and comment on people's statuses, check your Twitter, look at your Instagram, respond to emails, whatever that might be. But if you don't think about what you need and if you're not present in what you're doing, you can't have your cake and eat it too, which is really the reason why people want more time in the first place. So I don't know if more time is the answer. I think the time we have already can be used better if we start to look at time through the lens of focus, through the lens of priority, and through the lens of purpose. Because I think most people waste time because they don't know what to be spending their time on. And if you don't know where to be spending your time, if you don't know what's important to you, and if you're not working towards something with that sense of urgency, there's no time management hack that will allow you to experience more time. No, that's great. And like Jana said, if you want to Get some more information. There's a, a whole <laughs> there's a whole thing on the on his website. All right, let's jump into yes or BS. I'm going to make a statement and you can say yes or BS and you can go into why or why not. It's up to you. Beautiful. Let's do it. Number one. Greatness is genetic. BS. 
<laughs> Greatness is a skill that can be learned through repetition, time, and mentorship. Greatness is a habit that can be cultivated by not hitting the snooze button or through the little things that you do. Greatness is not genetic. Greatness is learned through the decisions you make. And number two, wealth is a mindset. Yes. There's a great Tony Robbins segment on this, but he talks about the greatest asset in life is not having resources, it's having resourcefulness. You cared so much about what you were doing that you found a way to go make the money. Like, would you find the way to make money? Yeah, you would. Like, if you were passionate and loving enough, would you go find investors? Yes, you would. Like, so to me, it all starts with yourself. And if you believe that you have what it takes to go get what you want, then you'll actually try to go get what you want. But if you don't believe in self, if you don't have a growth mindset, if you don't have that mindset, you'll never try in the first place. And then you'll just fulfill a prophecy of, oh, I don't have enough money or I don't have enough friends or never had the connections or I was born in this place or, or I was given these set of tools. And, you know, I mean, I had to do that, man. I went from petroleum engineer to entrepreneur, like successful entrepreneur. Like I had to learn that success, money, mindset was the precursor to getting the things I actually wanted in my life. It's interesting. One of the things that I've been sort of focusing on lately is, you know, I think a lot of times we focus on what we don't have. And so it's always like this, this race to get the next thing, get the next business, get the next idea, get the next thing. And what, what I'm starting to sort of come to is like, we have everything we need already, <laughs> you know, inside and outside. We just have to believe that and then create the opportunities to manifest it. So it's like it's inside. We just have to create the, the, the opportunities to manifest it on the outside. You know what? There's a really good buddy of mine, uh, a guy named Jesse Elder. He has this, this phrase that I'm to I totally steal all the time. It's called, what you appreciate, appreciates. And so what you focus on grows. Like, and if you think about it, like that's why it goes back to gratitude. When you go back to gratitude, but like, let's say you believe in God or universe, whatever you believe in, right? Like, if you are not grateful for what you have, what makes you think that the universe or God or whatever higher power is gonna wanna give you more of whatever you want? Like, it can't happen, because it, it just can't happen. Like, you have to give thanks to get thanks. And so it goes back to just, you know, you everything you have is already, you already have everything you need. Acknowledge it. And if that means yourself, like if it's your skills, appreciate yourself. Appreciate the fact that you got the right skills. Appreciate the fact that you were born brilliant. Appreciate the brilliance inside of you and watch it appreciate. Yeah. Number three, coaching is more challenging than scaling a business. I don't know. That's a good one. I could see arguments for both. I think coaching is people to people and that's always going to be challenging. Scaling a business is mathematical in nature. Like there's a process for doing it, but it's still people to people. Like you're still managing people and you're still growing it. So I think the people to people business is hard. I think if I had to blend both of those together, like that's something that happens. You, you perfect that over time. Like there's no book. There's books that can make it easier. There's lessons you can take that can make it smarter. There's skill sets and things you can do to get better at it. But people to people is, is, a, is a journey. Number four, Google can literally read your mind. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they can. And it's pretty remarkable. Like, I mean, we're getting to that point where, I mean, there's just so much data. There's so much data and there's so many data points across so many different variables that, I mean, really, like, Google can't read your, your mind. mind. Exactly. That's right. And I'll put this in here because I, you know, when I realized that I wanted people to understand, the listeners to understand, like when you think of something and you type it into that search engine, it's being recorded. And, and then the next time you put something in, it's being recorded and they start developing profiles. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, it's interesting and scary, but it's a very powerful tool for marketing and branding. Number five, you'll like this one. Amazon is bad for the small business economy. That's also a yes and no. I think victims believe that <laughs> any, anything. You know, I, I get a lot of hate for this, but it's okay. I think that, <laughs> I, I mean, like really, it. man, like, if you really think about it, like, I am a small business owner. Like, I am a small business owner. And, and by the definition of a small business owner. Under 10 million? Yep. But I am not shying away from change. I think that people are scared of change. They want things to be the exact same they were in 1980, and that's just not going to be the way it is. Even like the things that worked five years ago aren't working now. Like, and that's why that mindset is so important. Like, you have to be constantly upgrading your software. You have to constantly be coming to the times. And if you don't have the mindset and the willpower to try because you believe that you don't have what it takes, or if you don't like, you're not going to. So when it comes to Amazon, I think Amazon is Amazon has made more millionaires than any other platform. I think Airbnb's up there, Amazon is up there. Like there are these platforms that are giving like opportunities to people to make money. Is it easy to do business on the platform? No. Is it cheap? No. But is the opportunity there for people who want to sacrifice to go get it? Yes. So I can't say that Amazon is killing small businesses. I think the landscape for how business is being played is evolving. And the businesses that evolve alongside that change do well. And the ones that don't die and the ones that are dying, a majority of them are small businesses. I can agree with that statement, but I don't think Amazon is causing this. I think people's convenience, I think the internet caused this, to be honest. I think Google caused this. I think like TV advertising doesn't even like no one spends money on TV advertising anymore except big corporations. Why? Because Facebook, Google, Amazon, all these things are way more affordable and way more accessible to small business owners. How many amazing small businesses have been formed just based off of Facebook advertising? There's so much opportunity out there for people who are willing to embrace the internet. And that might be harder for, for people, especially as you get older. Like my parents really aren't that great using the internet. And I get that. But to say that the internet is killing small business, I think is, is an overstatement. All right. Fair enough. Number six, Raj Jana is currently working on his next brand. Yeah, I guess so. I'm evolving my brand. And I'm constantly refining it, tuning it, making it more like me. Stay Grounded is that. Stay Grounded is the podcast. And that has evolved in the last year like crazy. You know, it went from having one mission to growing and wanting to inspire people to do something else. And, you know, we're developing our, our courses now. And so there's like, I would say that Stay Grounded is what I'm evolving and growing and building, even though that's been around for a while. But it's like 
falling in love with the person you married 10 years ago. You're just, you're just recommitting vows along the way. That's how I feel with stay grounded right now. I'm just recommitting, falling in love with it all over again. All right. Number seven. <laughs> I know the answer to this, but this will be fun for the listeners. Raj Jana never drank a cup of coffee prior to starting Java Press. <laughs> so, okay. All right. I gotta, I gotta, I'll say a quick story here. So when I got into coffee, I actually really didn't care about coffee, to be completely honest. I got into entrepreneurship because I was passionate about creating a future for myself, and coffee happened to be the vehicle I used to get there. Along the way, though, I started appreciating coffee. And I started loving what it meant and the communities it brought together and the way it tasted and the, like just the whole culture around coffee. I started appreciating it. But before I started Java Press, I just drank whatever the heck my office provided me because I needed <laughs> fuel. Not necessarily looking at coffee as, as a passionate part of my life, which it is now. Sure. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, that's all I got for you, man. That was great. Tell the people how they can connect with you your Instagram, your website, all that good stuff. Yeah, Instagram is probably the best place to connect with me personally. It's Raj underscore Jana. You can go to rajjana.com. As we spoke earlier, I have a whole guide on how you can actually bend time. So you can sign up for my newsletter and get that. Send a lot of just rambling thoughts on things I'm learning along the way. Yeah, check out the podcast. Podcast is Stay Grounded. It is a privilege to have conversations with people. My podcast is my, my favorite learning tool. It's just amazing, amazing what can come when you have, you know, 60 minutes of like one-on-one attention with someone else in just a very deep, thoughtful, passionate manner. Like this conversation, actually. I learned a lot on this conversation, even though, you know, you and I just first met, man, and it's amazing what can happen. Agreed. I feel very gracious and a lot of gratitude for this conversation and very appreciative. And I hope that I hope that the listeners can can gain something as well. Before we sign out, I'm just going to read something that you wrote that I thought would be a nice way to end the show and really sort of distills where I think we all need to go in terms of just being human beings on the planet. An individual's human experience is layered by so many levels of understanding, all generated by what we know about the world. The more you expose yourself to people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings, and different worldviews, through the lens of acceptance and love, the more you realize that we are all driven by the same intrinsic need to connect and thrive through the things that we believe in. We are all one degree of separation away from being in situations we can all relate to. Whether that's losing a loved one, being screwed in work or business by circumstances out of our control, not achieving a goal you've worked for so hard to achieve, making a life-changing mistake, or simply getting caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. So never forget to give your neighbors love and the benefit of the doubt. You never know when you'll need it in return. And with that, as I always say, the truth will set you free. If you let it.